going back to real quick, you you said Kurt Angle. I I guess I can get it with the stars and stripes for Kurt Angle. Oh, like American kind of. Yeah, I, I was definitely thinking it would be a John Cena role. It, we can't just sure give it to John, John Cena, Cena all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we literally do this all the time. Who's going to play the main character? John Cena. Well, let's. John Cena's on sick leave right now. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Page and Screen. This is a book club for movie lovers, a movie club for book lovers. We read the book, we watch the movie, and we offer our unwarranted opinions. My name is Calvin, and this has all just been one big ploy for me to talk about hashtag Stucky. They belong together, and Kevin Feige is a coward for giving us anything less than that. Hi, my name is Ashton, and in typical fashion, we managed to somehow pick one of the darkest Marvel comics. So my name is Doug, and... Um... I think Jack Monroe's Nomad is the real hero of the story. I am Jesse Molly, and I didn't know who Red Sentinel was until this, and I guess it doesn't matter. Are you talking about Red Guardian? Red Guardian. I don't know. See, I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so on this episode, we are discussing Captain America Winter Soldier, a comic book written by Ed Brubaker and illustrated by a host of artists, including Steve Epting, Mike Perkins, and Michael Lark. It was originally published in single-issue form from 2004 to 2005. We are also discussing its adaptation, Captain America The Winter Soldier, a film directed by Anthony and Joe Russo and released in 2014. Um, I'm going to get into trying to provide you with a synopsis for this comic book. I should say that is going to be a little hard to do because it's very hard to find an appropriate synopsis online. And as with most comic books, this story takes place within the context of over 70 years of storytelling. Uh, the general backstory that's needed for the context of this story is Steve Rogers receives a super serum in the 1940s that turns him into Captain America, and he assists the Allied forces along with Golden Era superheroes, the Submariner and Human Torch. While in the army, he meets a young Bucky Barnes, who is described as the camp's mascot. Rogers and his team engage in many missions, and Bucky takes the role of being a covert agent to scout ahead of the team, assassinating many men in close quarters to allow an easier path for the team. As Steve describes, Bucky does all the dirty work for them. On a mission infiltrating Hydra agent Helmut Zemo's base, Rogers and Barnes are captured and tortured. They eventually manage to escape the base by holding on to an unmanned drone. When the drone arms itself, Rogers jumps off, but Barnes finds his clothing caught on the drone and is unable to release in time. The drone explodes and Barnes is seemingly killed in action. In present day, Captain America has been revived after being trapped in ice at the end of World War II and now works as a superhero, helping the Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D. The comic book opens with former KGB operative and business magnate Alexander Lucan ordering the death of the Red Skull, who is assassinated in his New York apartment by an unseen assassin who steals the cosmic cube from Red Skull. A man named Jack Monroe is framed for the murder of the Red Skull. Jack Monroe is a former... Formerly held the position of Bucky Barnes in the Marvel canon. This is where it's confusing. There's a lot of uh, canon to go over, but I guess Jack Monroe is a person who filled in the role of Bucky Barnes during the time 
when Captain America was frozen in ice and other people filled the role of Captain America. He also operated under the name Nomad and currently is, I guess, like suffering from PTSD from his years as a superhero, right? Yep. He is framed for the death of the Red Skull and is then later killed and his death framed to look like a suicide. Alexander Lucan, who becomes the, the main antagonist for this story, um, uses the Cosmic Cube, a, I don't even know how you would describe it, almighty source of power in the Marvel Universe. He uses the Cosmic Cube to influence other business magnets and grow his business empire. He also uses it to create destruction, to blow up. He uses it to cause some kind of destruction in cities like Paris, London, and New York. Is that right? To what end? I don't know. I guess to like get more power. The cosmic stone need needed death or something to be recharged. That's right. So Rogers uh, dismantles the bomb in Manhattan. Uh, that's not when he meets the Winter Soldier, though. I don't think he meets the Winter Soldier until Sharon gets kidnapped. So what happens is... There's a side quest earlier where, where Sharon goes to find Jack Monroe, who they have a tracker on. And that's when she gets captured and see, she sees Bucky for the first time and that she gets captured. Uh, Jack Monroe is dead and um, you know, hilarity ensues. So Sharon gets captured. Steve goes to try and save her. And that's when he sees the Winter Soldier, who Sharon warns him that she suspects it's Bucky. Steve frees Sharon, but in that distraction, there's an explosion in Philadelphia that winds up killing a number of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. We then get a tragic backstory on Jack Monroe to us feel miserable about our lives. We also find out that Steve knew the person who trained Lucan or who mentored Lucan during World War II. And is he's just generally a bad dude. Alexander Karpov, I think. And then we're told the story of how Steve helps the survivors of the bomb blast in Philadelphia. At some point, Steve pursues the Winter Soldier. And it's that great moment where he throws the shield and, and the Winter Soldier catches it. And Steve looks at him and he goes, oh, my God, Bucky. And the Winter Soldier goes, who the hell is Bucky? Anyways, we then discover that the Winter Soldier is, in fact, Bucky Barnes, who, while we thought was killed in action, was actually captured by this Karpov dude, a KGB scientist who experiments on him, I think also gives him a super serum, right? No, I thought he was just a really good fighter. When they do that blood test, they're like, oh, he's just like a normal dude or whatever. So then he's got, like, obviously a super strong robot arm. And that's how he's able to fight. And the Winter Soldier become a KGB assassin that is used by the KGB to assassinate many high-ranking individuals on the world stage over the course of the Cold War. And similarly, he's also put on ice during this stuff, right? Yeah, because he's the longer he's awake, he's starting to like remember who he was. So they just kept putting him on ice to make him avoid remembering, remembering. his past. Uh, Steve receives this entire file on the Winter Soldier. He realizes that his friend is still alive and he will now have to bring him to justice. All right, so how does this book end? They use the um, Cosmic Stone to help Bucky remember. And then Bucky destroys the Cosmic Stone with his metal hand. At some point, Lucan's like, hey, uh, I'm looking in the mirror. And he, he sees the Red Skull. 
and you're like, oh my god, the Red Skull's still alive. Sorry, That's supposed to like imply the Red Skull is possessing him. The only part I found was really confusing is they had to use Steve Rogers' blood to determine if it was actually Red Skull because uh, that was how Red Skull survived was inside a clone of Steve Rogers. So yeah, man, comic books. There's a lot of wild shit that happened over like the 70 years of Marvel. Yeah, the comic book ends with Bucky remembering who he was, going into hiding. Also, Falcon and Iron Man show up at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it is hard to offsize that comic book, but let's uh, let's try and get into our initial reactions to it. What did everyone think? So this is my second time reading the book. I read it either shortly after or shortly before the movie came out. I can't remember, but I love this comic. It's really dark. Marvel is usually from my experience pretty light yeah, at least has moments of levity throughout this doesn't really have any of that but overall really captivating story lots of cool political intrigue which is different than most comic books I, I read typically speaking before winter soldier like the movie came out in 2014 i wasn't a big captain america fan at all and uh this kind of turned me around on the character altogether i liked it it was a decent graphic novel yeah that's pretty good Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Jesse, any initial thoughts? Here's the thing. I'm not a super big comic book person myself either. The only way I really keep up is that I look up like wikis or watch video synopsises to find out how the lore of this Marvel Universe works. But reading this, I actually did enjoy it because I felt for someone like me who doesn't read a lot of comic material, it was easy to follow in a sense like things were explained enough. I only had one issue, which was I had to look up why... The, the Red Skull being a clone Steve Rogers body. That's the only thing that jarred me a bit, but they explained all these previous Captain Americas, who these previous Buckies were. So like, okay. And they did it in a way that's a nice rehash for somebody like me who had no idea there was multiple Captain Americas or Buckies for that matter. So I really liked it. And I'm a big fan of all of the flashbacks that go to the Second World War. That was actually my favorite part. I anticipated every time when Steve would flash back to like they're in France or they're in Russia and they're the original Captain America and Bucky. So I might consider looking into finding those old comics and reading them. But no, I was a really huge fan of this. This was a really good graphic novel. I, I mean, I, I absolutely love the comic. I thought it was fantastic. It's one that I had been meaning to read ever since I watched the movie, but just never got around to it. And it's been a while since I've read a superhero story or rather a, a, a big superhero line like something from Marvel or DC. It's been a while since I've read something like that, especially one that takes place within comic book canon. And it was just strange getting back into that because it is a very like self-contained story, but it's also got to fit within the history of the Marvel of Marvel canon, right? And that's the thing about any superhero comic that's always so daunting to people. You know, people who who think the MCU is really daunting and like, oh, like I don't know how I could just watch one MCU movie because there's so many other things to go with it like try reading a comic book because it's it's even worse you know it's so it's so hard to just like pick up a comic book and and be on board with where the canon is and where the history is and and pick up on everything those parts were a little jarring but like jesse said they do a really good job of explaining a lot of that stuff and just to explain some of that stuff 
the stuff in multiple Captain Americas and multiple Buckies, this is comic books kind of trying to make sense of their years of publishing. Because basically what happened is Captain America was created in the 1940s by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Actually, I don't even know if Stanley created Captain America. I'm going to have to. I think he did, but I could be wrong. I thought it was just Jack Kirby. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, he was created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyways, he was created in the 1940s. Um, you know, he was a huge success for Marvel during the war. Um, after the war, uh, the character started to lose popularity. So they shelved the comic book, right? They took Captain America off the shelves. And then a few years later in the 60s, they revived him in the Man Out of Time storyline. He was frozen at the end of the war was revived in the 60s and then fought with the Avengers, right? That storyline of the man out of of him being revived from being frozen at the end of the war keeps getting pushed. Originally, it was in the 60s that Steve Rogers was revived out of ice. But by the time we get to Winter Soldier, it's like, I guess we're supposed to believe it's sometime in the 90s or maybe even the 2000s. So now Marvel has to explain why there was a Captain America during that 40 or 50 year period if Steve Rogers was supposedly in ice this whole time. And that's where the explanation of these other heroes filling in the role of Captain America and Bucky comes in. Mm-hmm. So you got the Jack Monroes and the William Naslins and all of these people who filled in the role of Captain America and Bucky. So yeah, it's it's a very convoluted canon to wrap your head around. Uh, but Ed Brubaker does a really good job of providing you with that context. Having only watched the Marvel movie, uh, like Ashton said, it was surprising to see how serious this was. MCU films typically, typically have some levity in them. There's very little humor in this. It's a very serious storyline and they it very seriously and i did enjoy that a part of me also like wished that it was a little bit lighter and that there were a couple breaks but for what it was just a really hot political thriller like it it really delivers i'm coming from this kind of like what you guys said where i I only had watched the movies but i found i appreciated the character build a little bit more connected with just re-watching the movie gave me a little bit more of a backstory or like what they were trying to do with uh, agent 13 no uh sharon carter Mm -hmm. And then um, Crossbones, like all of those characters who do show up in the movie. I, I have no complaints. I, I did enjoy the flashbacks. The parts where they did tangents off into different areas, those were my favorite parts of the book. Especially my favorite part was the Nomad storyline where the super serum that he received in the 1960s was playing tricks with his brain. He was becoming more and more insane, psychotic. And then they have this whole thing where he's taking down his drug syndicate. And then you find out at the end that it was just a guy selling ice cream. And it's like super sad and like really dark. But I thought it was like the best part of the comic. And that that part was pretty brutal. And I guess um, now that Falcon and Winter Soldier has wrapped up, I guess you kind of see some of those themes still being used in Marvel and in the Captain America lore. Because I guess in Falcon and Winter Soldier, the TV show, you do find out about other super soldiers during that interim period. And in in Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's... Um, Isaiah Bradley, isn't it? Isaiah Bradley. That kind of mirrors that same storyline of a man who, who received it. Not a snuff version of the of the super serum. And then his life kind of suffers as a result of it. For different reasons in the in the TV show, because of race and racism. Yeah, it's interesting to see how much of an effect this comic book has had and how much those themes still carry through into the MCU. A couple notes that I wrote, 
like I said before, um, Steve is so much more serious in this comic book than he is in, uh, in the MCU. I'm so used to Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, and this seems like a different version of that character. Not that the, char- the Captain America in the MCU is funny or, or any like anything less serious. Like He's still pretty serious, but there, that levity, um, I don't know, it brightens up the character a little bit for me in, in the movies. Um, and I did wish I saw a little bit of that in this. Um, one of the things I really did enjoy about this is that I feel they gave a much better and a much more extensive backstory for Bucky that they do in the in the movie, especially like really what the nature of the experiments were that they were doing on him, how the KGB used him over the course of the Cold War. Uh, the things he did. The Bucky Barnes that we see in the comic book is very different from uh, the Sebastian Stan version in the MCU. Like Steve doesn't meet him until they're actually in the war, in the army together. He's a much darker character. Like like I said, in the synopsis, um, Steve describes him as kind of the person who did all of their dirty work. So he would go ahead, he would assassinate these people in like close quarters. And it was this like kind of brutal work that he did but it also dictates how he becomes the winter soldier. Yeah. And kind of going back to what you're saying, because I kind of agree. I'm used to the Chris Evans, Captain America. So I, I totally see what you you're saying specifically about Captain America that was in the book and how, it, like, what's the best way to describe the way he is. That isn't like, uh, that isn't like Chris Evans version. He just, I don't want to say he's a, seems like a dick. But sometimes he seems like a kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> dick is not, I don't think that's the right way to describe it. But like he's so serious and professional and has to get the job done to the detriment of like, like he absolutely doesn't care about anybody else's feelings. The the movies, you definitely get this vibe from Captain America that he actually is so much more. Like he also cares about the people that he's with and like care about what they think. And you get that vibe a little bit more from Chris Evans than you would from this version in the comic books. You know, a lot of people have kind of uh, pointed to this storyline as really the turning point for the character altogether. This was part of a relaunch of the line of Captain America in general. You know, a totally uninteresting thing to that I have to explain here, but like comic books typically relaunch themselves multiple times. So just for the novelty of having issue numbers go back to issue number one. So Captain America has was obviously issue number one came in 1940, but they've relaunched the line many times to have new issue number ones, right? Um, and to kind of show that they're taking the character in a new direction. So this was part of a relaunch for the character. And, you know, they signed Ed Brubaker on to create this different version of the character. And yeah, a lot of people point to it as being a serious turning point in how the world saw Captain America and how Marvel wrote Captain America moving forward, because this was the first time that his that, you know, his morality was kind of thrust gray area where now what he saw is right and wrong starts to get tested. That becomes more of a play in the movie. But even in this, this person that he thought was his friend this whole time now being used to accomplish these like horrible things and he's going to have to bring him to justice. It's this like actual thing. Like he cap is such a character and he's so dedicated to like doing the right thing and getting the mission done or whatever. 
But when you test those ideals, that's what creates this internal struggle that really dictates Steve's character over the course of the story. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But anyone else have any thoughts on the comic book? A little side thing. Um, I didn't know Falcon could communicate with birds. Yeah. I went back and there's a couple of pages. And I don't know if they're relevant or not, but it's some. there's some scenes with captains and there's always there'll be like a bird beside them. So I was like, I wonder if that somehow was like, oh, Sam's keeping a watch on him at the moment. So, yeah, again, so used to the Anthony Mackie version of, yeah. of Sam Wilson. But in the comic book, Falcon, yeah, can communicate with birds or whatever, which is just kind of like a silly comic book superpower or whatever. His companion is Red Wing, who's an actual hawk, I think scouts out for him and keeps watch for him or whatever and then reports back to him obviously in the mcu they took that out <laughs> and they tried to make the character a little bit more believable well red wing's a good drone right it's the drone that um, that he kind of shoots out of his backpack or whatever which is cool it's one of those creative ways that then movies adapt superheroes and try to make them a little bit more realistic it's an interesting thing i didn't know that either until i read this what really sucked me in when I first started reading that book the first time and even this time, because I almost forgot like some serious plot points, killing off Red Skull right in the first issue. It's a pretty bold move, taking like Captain America's number one villain of all time, his arch nemesis, and just killing him off in the first issue. And like, you know, there's obviously doubts in the comic too. The characters are doubting that the Red Skull is actually dead. So you as a reader are also like, hmm. He can't be. That can't be it, right? Like, it, it almost seems like an anticlimactic way of doing it. But it's interesting, too, because that's a death that kind of stays. I haven't read too much into the canon and where, where it goes from there. But from what I understand, Red Skull stays dead for a while. And in comic books, obviously, characters never stay dead. They inevitably come back. They find a way to write them back into the story. But, like, from what I understand, Red Skull stays dead for a while and then they come up with other iterations of the character to to kind of make up for it so you have like his daughter becomes a version of the red skull moving forward but like that version the version that was around in the 40s and that was captain america's arch nemesis he stays dead for for quite a while before they revive him eventually or before they find a way to bring him back but yeah it's it's a pretty shocking way to start the comic book but very effective. So when did they re- they release the novel in 2010 or 2012, right? Uh, the comic book was originally published between 2004 and 2005. Oh, really? So... Oh. Like, I always try to, whenever we, we read, and I didn't really do it for this book, but whenever I read something, I always try to imagine the, the, sur- the surrounding context, like what was happening. But I don't know. I don't. I can't think of anything. What was happening in two thousand four, two thousand five? The DC shooter. You guys remember that guy? Yeah, I remember that. I mean, it was only three years after nine eleven. If you take that into consideration too, right? And uh, obviously, the it was probably even still very present, even that, like very present at that point. Yeah. Well, two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah. I mean, it was obviously the Bush era, and I, you know, I don't think Brubaker was a was a fan of President Bush, but a lot of the stuff in that era, you know, really questioned what patriotism meant in the United States because it was kind of a, a dystopian time with like, um, what am I thinking of? What's the like 
what's the like surveillance bill or whatever that got passed? The, the Patriot, Patriot Act. Act. Yeah, the Patriot Act. Like under the Patriot Act, kind of really questioned what it to, to be living in America at the time. I think it fits very well into that into that political climate of taking the ultimate symbol of America and and really making him doubt himself or, or doubt the ideals he stands for. You know what the thing is is so the reason why uh, they got rid of Shield and stuff like that is because uh, there was a there was a situation where where they, they they wanted to get help from the U.S. Army or the U.S. Navy or whatever, but they said no because uh, there's some stuff to do with Shield, and so Shield was then separated like like within the Marvel Cinematic Universe from the Army. And from uh, like UN peacekeeping forces and stuff, so it became its own fictional armed force. Imagine that back then, back when like the Incredible Hulk was released, and they were making the first Iron Man. Like, imagine they decided, okay, let's connect. Let's allow the U.S. Army to connect with uh, the Shield in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It would actually probably have changed a lot of what we knew of the later movies, including this novel. In this novel. Captain America is working within the U.S. government. The the heli character they keep referring to the like a U.N. peacekeeping force. So I think in the strangest way, I think the fact that the U.S. Army was like, we don't want to be connected with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, actually helped to separate it. Uh, I just thought that was pretty interesting, and that really, and that becomes a real disconnect between what we know as the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the comic universe, where the where all of these agencies are inside of larger real life or mainly real life agencies you know i didn't really read marvel comics until like until the mcu became a thing you know and that's when i really started delving into marvel and and reading some of their comic books and the first thing that surprised me is how much they fit within the real world or how much they try to make everything fit within the real world which is, you know, very different from like DC where nothing, there's very little correlation to the real world. Um, okay, yeah, so so to get into the movie, I actually do have a, a good synopsis for this one. So Captain America, The Winter Soldier, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, starring our usual fare of fantastic MCU actors, Chris Evans and Steve Rogers, Sebastian Stan is the Winter Soldier. Anthony Mackie is Sam Wilson. Samuel Jackson is Nick Fury, and all the rest. Scarlett Johansson as uh, Natasha Romanoff. This movie takes place two years after the events of the Avengers, and Steve Rogers, aka Captain America, now works as an operative for Shield. The movie opens in Washington D.C. with Rogers meeting Sam Wilson, a veteran of the U.S. Air Force. Rogers is then sent on a mission alongside Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow, to free hostages aboard a S.H.I.E.L.D. vessel. However, Rogers discovers Romanoff's extracting data from the ship's computers for S.H.I.E.L.D. director Nick Fury. When Rogers confronts Fury, he is briefed on Project Insight, a project designed to preemptively eliminate threats using three massive helicarriers. Fury is suspicious of the project, however, and asked Secretary of Internal Security Alexander Pierce to delay it. Fury is later ambushed by assailants led by an assassin called the Winter Soldier. Fury manages to escape and informs Steve that S.H.I.E.L.D. is compromised before he is shot by the Winter Soldier. He hands Steve the data that Romanov stole, 
Steve's neighbor, Sharon, reveals herself to be a covert S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and Steve pursues the Winter Soldier, who manages to escape. And we get that awesome scene again, where he throws the S.H.I.E.L.D., and the Winter Soldier catches it, and then throws it back for some reason, even though he should have just kept it and ran away. Fury is later presumed dead, and the next day, uh, Alexander Pierce questions Rogers, who withholds the info Fury provided. Rogers is branded a fugitive, and after a kick-ass elevator fight, he goes on the run with Natasha Romanoff. They use the stolen data to discover a secret shield bunker in the same New Jersey facility that Rogers was originally trained in. There, they activate a supercomputer that is the preserved consciousness of Arnim Zola, a hydro scientist that Rogers originally crossed paths with in World War II. Zola informs them that after S.H.I.E.L.D. was founded, Hydra infiltrated and grew within its ranks, sowing global chaos and making humanity surrender its freedom willingly in exchange for security. A S.H.I.E.L.D. missile then destroys Bunker and Rogers and Tasha narrowly escape. Rogers and Romanoff then enlist the help of Sam Wilson, who reveals the classified wing pack technology he used with the U.S. Air Force under the call sign Falcon. They kidnap S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Jasper Sitwell, who reveals that Project Insight has actually been developed to kill millions who are deemed threats to HYDRA. Rogers, Romanoff, and Wilson are then ambushed by the Winter Soldier, and after a kick-ass knife fight, Rogers unmasks the Winter Soldier to discover that he is Bucky Barnes, his childhood best friend who seemingly died in combat in World War II. Through flashback, we discover that Barnes was actually injured and then captured and experimented on by HYDRA, turning him into a sleeper agent who is called out of cryo-freeze whenever Hydra needs to assassinate high-level threats. Rogers, Romanoff, and Wilson are later extracted by Maria Hill, a senior S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who takes them to a safe house, and Nick Fury, who has faked his death. They launch a plan to sabotage the helicarriers with Rogers broadcasting to the S.H.I.E.L.D. HQ that Hydra has taken over and that Alexander Pierce is their leader. Romanoff and Fury disarm and apprehend Pierce, while Rogers and Wilson sabotage the helicarriers. As they are about to disarm the last helicarrier, however, the Winter Soldier attacks and destroys Falcon's wingsuit and then critically wounds Rogers, who manages to sabotage the helicarrier and order Maria Hill to have the carriers destroy each other. In the ensuing destruction, Rogers and the Winter Soldier fall into the Potomac River, and the Winter Soldier rescues Rogers from drowning, seemingly snapping out of his sleeper agent programming and remembering his identity as Bucky Barnes. He then flees before Rogers can wake up. Romanoff is admonished at a Senate subcommittee for leaking all of Hydra's files as they also contain shields and highly classified government info. Fury uses the cover of his false death to go into hiding and Rogers and Wilson decide to pursue Bucky Barnes. And then we get a post credit scene that introduces Scarlet Witch. Uh, what did everyone think about the movie? Um, the movie is arguably, if not the best, it's one of the best Marvel movies to date. It's really good, really fun political thriller. It, it aged really well. It's after seven years later. It's still like really years almost. Yeah. yeah. Jesse? Yeah, I'm with Ashton. This is actually my favorite MCU movie. I remember going into it and not for a single point of it being lost and just being completely enamored by the story, which is really weird because sometimes in movies, there'll be periods where I'm like, this is 
slowing down for me, but Winter Soldier is one of those that just didn't. And this might sound really cliched, but the whole Hydra infiltrating shield twist moment, I actually loved that. That's one of my favorite parts and how it showcased that something as pure as shield, which is supposed to be created to help people, how easily something sinister like Hydra can infiltrate it. And it wasn't even blatantly obvious. It was just this ideologue grew. People were believing in this. People couldn't be trusted with their own freedom. That's like the scary thing too, is like a lot of these people didn't think they were evil. They're like, oh, we're doing a service to the world, right? Yeah, and Robert Redford. Yeah. The Captain America movies, all of them so far have been like, like hitting a hundred, like uh, or hitting a thousand. The the first Avenger is probably the weakest, but that's a good thing because you know how often a, in a movie series can you say that the first movie is the weakest of the series, right? You know, and this also shows something about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A lot of other companies are trying to make cinematic universes. They don't have the like when they sign. Bucky Barnes, what's the actor's name? I can't remember. Sebastian Stan. When they signed Sebastian Stan, they signed him to an eight-movie deal. Like, back in the first Avengers. So, obviously, they had an idea of what they were going to do with the character. And I just, I love that with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The fact that they looked at this story and said, what story do we want to tell? What story do we not only just want to tell, but what story do we want to tell over the next decade? And that's what an eight-movie deal means to me, right? And you see it now, like Captain America's story is, of course, all of them are excellent political thrillers for a comic book movie. But on top of that, there's this vein of friendship. Captain America refuses to give up, believing there's that friendship aspect that weaves his way through the entire it's the, the main storyline for Civil War. It makes it also meaningful at the end of Endgame when he comes back as a really old man and stuff like that. Now they have the, the Disney Plus series, Falcon and Winter Soldier, which strangely enough, it almost seems like Falcon and Winter Soldier is a direct sequel to this film. No, I get what you mean. The character arc that they kind of set Bucky on in this movie it leads very much into Falcon and Winter Soldier. The Winter Soldier, this movie really introduces him, but you don't really touch on what Bucky's been going through throughout the rest of the movies. You know, he shows up in all of his other movies, like he shows up in Civil Wars, shows up in the Avengers and in Endgame and stuff like that. But you don't really understand his state of mind until you watch Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, I, this this movie's fantastic, um, you know, this came out at a time when I think I wasn't fully convinced on the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet. Hadn't watched all of them in theaters. I hadn't made it a thing to watch all of them in theaters. And, you know, there were still movies that were kind of disappointing, like Incredible Hulk and, and The Dark World. So I wasn't completely convinced going into this. And Captain America First Avenger. I wasn't a big fan of the first Captain America movie. So I was like, I don't know if I want to watch a Captain America standalone film. And then, you know, it completely turned my opinion around. And to Doug's point, you know, it's like everyone tries to do these cinematic universes. Marvel has this formula on lock to the point where it's like there's something about watching these movies. It feels so natural that they're part of a shared universe. The way that these characters talk to each other, the way they interact with each other, it feels so real it takes the notion of making a superhero movie where there are all of these superhero characters and before that used to be a real concern you'd be like oh man how are they going to jam pack all these characters into this movie 
Marvel just makes it work, you know, because you're so used to these characters existing in this universe. You're not questioning like, oh, well, why is Black Widow in here? It just makes sense and it just feels right and it just feels natural. The thing I really want to touch on, though, is that this is the Russo brothers' first movie with Marvel. They've kind of become so prolific with this company and what they've done with these characters. It's so interesting seeing how they started. For people who don't know, the Russo brothers got the job on Marvel because Kevin Feige was a huge fan of Community the sitcom, and Russo Brothers originally worked on Community. They directed a lot of the episodes for Community. The most notable episodes that they directed were the paintball episodes, which are Community's big action film parody episodes. Kevin Feige saw those paintball episodes and said, huh, like, the guys who directed these episodes, like, they're pretty good. We should sit down and meet with them, see if they want to do our Marvel movie. And that's how they got the job at Marvel. And it's just such a wild story but it also if you watch this movie i see some of those things translate like i see how the paintball episode from community translates into these big marvel movies especially civil war but also in this one the action scenes are brilliant and, and extremely tight and so well shot it's the way that they use the downtime between those scenes to like have these really brilliant witty moments or these like really funny bits of character development. Like when you see Sam first meet Steve or when you see Black Widow and Steve go to Sam and ask him for help. It's those like little moments that really flesh out the movie and, and make it so much more enjoyable. It's crazy watching this movie and seeing how, how they nailed it on the first try. They come from doing this like TV sitcom to doing this big budget action movie and they just nail the tone of it so well it's uh yeah it's fantastic it's probably one of the best movies marvel has ever done if not the best but go back and watch it and like man each and every one of those action scenes is perfect like it's absolutely pitch perfect you start with the submarine fight and fucking gsp fighting captain america the car chase where nick fury is being chased by crooked cops or whatever the knife fight on the bridge the elevator fight Every single one of those is so well executed. So it really single-handedly, because I really could have cared less about Captain America as a character. Like I saw the first one and I was like leading into Avengers. So I'll go see it. And I remember enjoying it more than I thought I would. The Avengers happened. I was amped. Once again, Captain America in the Avengers. I was least interested in that character. When I saw Winter Soldier, I'm like, I've almost like 180 on Captain America. And he's now one of my favorites because of Winter Soldier. They just somehow figured out a way to make him way more interesting than more than I would have ever thought he would have ever been. Like, we also forget that we are only a decade removed from Captain America. And I guess you kind of mentioned this a little bit where, where they where they felt the need to relaunch Captain America for the in the comic book universe. But even in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he was... Um, not very popular. In fact, I wouldn't even say that Captain America has always struggled with mainstream popularity until the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universes. And even the first movie, like I remember being psyched for the first Avenger, but I do know a lot of people who weren't internationally outside of uh, Canada, where we, we are in the United States. They named Captain America First Avenger just the first Avenger because they didn't think the name Captain America would play very well in other markets around the world. And you can see how things have changed now where they're, they're, they'd be happy to put Captain America on anything nowadays, right? 
Chris Evans was I remember they went on this big search for Chris Evans I wasn't sold on Chris Evans when I first heard that he got because I'm just like the, the guy does the human torch and from not another teen movie <laughs> but he ends up being excellent in fact in my mind I can't even imagine another person playing Captain America to the same degree as Chris Evans career defining he'll forever be known as Captain America People love him so much that they're even willing to like online bullying his like predecessor and uh, <laughs> send death threats. Good Lord. <laughs> Buck, Bucky Bard, Sebastian Stan, excellent casting. Like, like there's that like brotherly love story there that just sells the entirety of it. If there was no chemistry between the two, like you would never ever believe it, right? The only problem that I had was um, they didn't really do anything with Crossbones, which was really uh, crappy. They They could have made him into a pretty good secondary henchman villain for a couple movies at least it's interesting because it's like a lot of the other characters still come back right especially watching falcon and winter soldier they did a really good job of preserving this cast of characters to have zemo show up again or sharon carter show up and it's interesting that crossbones kind of got thrown to the wayside i feel bad for frank grillo he's had a the, the movies he chooses now are not great he's he's on a lot of uh direct the uh, action films with Bruce Willis, and I'm just like, you could have had, could have had this really solid shot uh, with crossbones. Another thing that the Winter Soldier did really well was somehow being able to integrate as many characters and like villains into it as much as they did. Like Alexander Pierce, then they had Artem Zola show up, then they had crossbones, and it never felt cluttered. It never felt like too much was going on. Crossbones doesn't really get a chance to sign. In this movie, he's just kind of becoming Crossbones. And then in Civil War, he is Crossbones. That's when he gets kind of wasted, I think. But like in this movie, he seems like a threat. Like he does seem like he can actually might be able to take on Captain America. Like in that elevator scene, this guy does seem like he's like kind of a threat here. So they do a really good job of making everybody strong enough in their own way. It's it's really cool how they juggle all the characters and even make references to things that are coming in the future. They make a uh, Doctor Strange reference that at the mm-hmm. time made me lose my mind. Yeah. I'll also say that that elevator fight scene, it might be the best action set piece in the entirety of the Marvel Sonic universe. And I, and mm-hmm. I don't think I'm crazy for saying that. I, th- I think it still holds up. Like I rewatching it, I'm just like, you know it's coming. You're like, wow, this is such an excellent fight scene. I don't know. One one thing about the Winter Soldier movie, I love the the music that plays when the Winter Soldier is around. For the longest time, I had that on my phone, and I would just listen to it all the time because I just love the the build up to it, especially that the end credit scene where he's in the museum. I just felt like out of the MCU's music repertoire, that's probably my favorite little bit. It sounds like a hawk's or an eagle screeching drawn out. It it gives me some sort of Jason Voorhees kind of vibe. Like there's that one shot where he jumps, he's in the background and he jumps into frame and it plays. Going back to what you're saying, like that horror feel. Well, I I was going to mention that earlier and then I uh, it slipped my mind, but I'm glad that you mentioned it, Jesse. They really do kind of build Winter Soldier up in this movie as being like a very impressive and imposing threat, especially like when, again, it's one of those like moments where it's just Black Widow talking to Captain America and just like explaining the legend of the Winter Soldier and how it was this in, in Russia, it was this almost like a folk tale told to like scare people and then her interaction with him and that like this, this thing turns out to be something real and then having it manifest 
And then, yeah, like using the music and stuff like that, they do a really good job of just building up how imposing he is. Just seeing him like pull the steering wheel out from under Sam Wilson's hands. Great. It's just solid little bits like that, you know. Uh, so it's so a WWE uh, casting. Well, Kurt Angle's got to be Captain America. Uh, okay, so let's uh, let's get into our recurring segment uh, where we fan cast Captain America the Winter Soldier with WWE characters. Honestly, WWE should just go to the MCU and be like, we want in. Just we'll pay any money to get in. I would love a WWE Marvel movie. Although I'd almost hate it too because it would guarantee be terrible. <laughs> but I'm trying to think of like who would be Nick Fury. I was gonna say Ron Simmons. I feel like yeah, no, there you go. I was Ron Simmons. <laughs> yeah, Ron Simmons actually kind of does somehow make sense in a strange WWE way. Um, Black Widow, Becky Lynch. I'm Russian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Russian. I'm Russian. If you really wanted to lean into the Russian, like I guess it would have to be Lana then. Oh God! <laughs> oh God! I don't know why I wanted that. Yeah, no, I could, I could see Becky Lynch. I, I was also going to say, I feel like a Rhea Ripley would be really good. Ooh, Rhea Ripley would be awesome. Who plays the Winter Soldier? Uh, Seth Rollins. It's that's not terrible. Not bad. That, that's not terrible. <laughs> For I some reason, we were thinking like Captain America, Winter Soldier. A part of me was also thinking like Johnny Gargano, Tomasa Ciampa would be fantastic. Oh, caring nice. for Captain America, Winter Soldier. Suspend your disbelief to see Tomasa Ciampa play Winter Soldier, but uh, <laughs> but it would be pretty just because pretty... of that like brotherly dynamic, right? Yeah, like, exactly. That, yeah, like that would be pretty great. Um, would, uh, would Kevin Owens make a good crossbones? That's actually pretty solid. Like yeah. I could definitely see Kevin Owens playing playing crossbones. Uh, what about Sam Wilson? Titus O'Neil. <laughs> yeah, or like play... Xavier Woods. Yeah, Xavier Woods would be pretty good. Or Kofi, too. Yeah, I think Kofi. Kofi would be pretty pretty solid. Alexander Pierce, do you get... Gotta go to Vince McMahon. Yeah, like, like, just like e- e- evil <laughs> fucking businessman. Like, like, like... Could Shane McMahon be, um, what's his name? Gary Shandling? Okay, doesn't make any sense in terms <laughs> of age. Just... No, you get... Uh, you uh, get Rick Jerry. Flair to show up uh, to, to be... Who <laughs> yeah, plays just... Jasper Sitwell? That's, um... <laughs> Jerry the King Lawler. Again, age-wise, doesn't make any sense. But sure. <laughs> I just got Santino Morella to play by Jasper Sitwell. Yeah, Santino Morella. Just to see him get kicked off a roof. <laughs> I don't know why that's. this is my favorite segment of our show every time is the WWE <laughs> casting. It's just so absurd and stupid. You know what's funny is I was going back and editing these, and every time I'm editing them, I'm like, this WV casting seems so out of place. But at the same time, I'm also like, I gotta leave it in. Like, I can't see not leaving it in. Even when we were doing Beale Street, which oh, is God. the most dramatic episode that we've done so far. We're so serious and we talk about that the whole way through. And then it just ends with like, anyways, let's do our WV casting. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's do an actual wrap up where we pick which one we prefer more ashen yeah i i think i i think i'll have to give the edge to the movie the movie was the one that really turned me around on captain america after that that's when i read the comic and i really enjoyed the comic too but i do think the movie was the reason why i totally changed my opinion on captain america 
I enjoyed the movie more, I think, than the book. I'm glad I read the book because it added extra layers and stuff, and it gave me that larger perspective. But the, definitely, the movie is for me is better than the book. Um, same. Um, the movie was my first exposure to the really uh, detailed lore for Captain America here. And, you know, it's all the things that come together. It's the soundtrack. It's the actors that I've now grown accustomed as these characters. I'm glad I read the book. And I do think it's important that if you do like the movie Captain America, the Winter Soldier, do read the book. But the movie is still my favorite. I like it the most. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think the movie edges out the comic book a little bit. And this is kind of my feeling with a lot of comic book adaptations into movies, especially superhero ones. There's just something about freeing the comic book from the constraints of like comic book canon that makes it a little bit more approachable and a little bit more enjoyable. And while the comic book's fantastic, the only thing that takes the edge off is having it like is the like gymnastics they have to do to make it fit within comic book canon. Yeah, the movie is fantastic and so much fun to rewatch it. Okay, uh, we can start wrapping up. So has anyone been reading, watching, or playing anything interesting that they want to highlight? I said last time that I was on a kind of a John Singleton kick. So I've been kind of continuing with that. The other day I watched a movie called Rosewood by him. It's not uplifting. It's about the massacre in Rosewood, Florida. It was a racial war that happened down there. It was um, a really good movie. Bing Rames, John Voight. Very good. Really like that. John Singleton. I've almost watched his entire career now, other than Too Fast, Too Furious, and Abduction. So I'll probably end up watching those. <laughs> um, Doug? I, I've been... Playing a game called Daisy or Days. Uh, I downloaded, re-downloaded it after a bunch of years and I've uh, been playing it for the past couple of days. It's pretty good. Recently, I watched the Falcon Winter Soldier, which is great. Especially if you've watched the Winter Soldier, you should probably just check out that. It's pretty good. I also uh, finished reading a book called uh, The Weapons of Mass Destruction by Kathy O'Neill. It's a uh, critical look at uh, the um, formulas and models that fill our lives things like uh prison revisitism rates and uh it's a pretty good book if you're into that sort of thing if statistics and that sort of stuff pretty good book to check out so jesse we all watched mortal Kombat recently oh yeah a lot of mixed opinions and stuff i liked it <laughs> i i thoroughly enjoyed it but not too much other stuff in here i'm waiting for the mass effect legendary edition to pop out so i can waste more hours of my life just playing that it's been quite a bit of time between the last podcast so i've been reading quite a few things i read bob woodward's two books on the trump presidency rage and fear both very good fear was about the first two years of the trump presidency rage was about his response to the coronavirus super interesting you know if you haven't read anything by bob woodward he's a solid journalist and the books were very interesting because they were so much more unbiased than i was expecting them to be but that's kind of what really sells you on it and that's what kind of really makes you see things from a very clear perspective the one movie i really wanted to highlight is i watched a movie called host one of many movies called host it is not the bong joon ho korean monster movie and it is not the uh stephanie meyer adaptation <laughs> it's a movie directed by rob savage came out last year and it's a horror movie on shutter really cool movie it's like just over 60 minutes and it was shot entirely on zoom very cool concept the idea is 
four or five friends do a seance over Zoom as like a fun thing for them to do in quarantine. And then something goes wrong, all hell breaks loose, and they really... It's a solid movie. It was really fun, pretty spooky, and um, just such a cool concept. No soundtrack, no real like cinematography tricks or anything. It's just people in front of a camera. And they're all kind of like unknown actors. So like, it almost didn't feel like a movie. It felt very strange watching it. It was like watching a Zoom call, but Mm. um, it was really, really uh, fun. So I highly recommend check that out if you haven't. We'll wrap up page and screen. What is our next pick? Jesse. So I just went through the list and I found, um, actually, we're going to segue back into horror. I found probably one of the more scarier options here. It's something that the adaptation actually terrified me. And that is R.L. Stein's Goosebumps, Say Cheese and Die. Okay. <laughs> so I, I really want to explore that. I feel like there's a lot of material in there to cover. We can dive in. I mean, R.L. Stein is a really good horror writer. Both the book and the show were not even in the realm of scary. <laughs> I know, Doug. I was being sarcastic. No, you weren't. I could tell. I got to go through my old Scholastic stuff and see if I have. Like, do I have my Scholastic sheets? Like, you just have like a big stack of old, outdated yeah. Scholastic sheets. Let me yeah. let me look under my bed in this trunk of Goosebumps books that I have locked away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know what? If my nephews actually did go to like one of those Galactic book fairs, I'd be like, yeah, can you pick me up, say cheese and die? <laughs> I just want to like clarify we're being serious. We're, we're actually doing say cheese and die. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's do it. No, I'm down. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's on Netflix. Say cheese and die is on Netflix. It is, yeah. They're public domain, aren't they? R.L. Stein books? No, they're no, not. No, God, no. How old do you think R.L. Stein is? They have to be a 70 years after the author's <laughs> death. Like, unless R.L. Stein died in the 1940s, I'm pretty sure they're not. Yeah, these are ancient books, don't you yeah. know? <laughs> these are tomes. I have to go and pick up my copy of Goosebumps, Say Cheese and Die. Let's see here. Um, well, it's only eight bucks, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so surprising that, like, R.L. Stein just built this, like, empire around kids' horror which is such a ridiculous genre that it just doesn't make sense and it doesn't work. There, there are actually some episodes of Goosebumps that as a kid were scary, like The Mask. Yeah, The Mask is probably the... I, I crap on R.L. Stein and the TV series <laughs> whenever it comes up, but there are a few outliers that are actually scary. Only a few. Of the many, <laughs> many episodes and many, many books he wrote, yeah, that being said, it's been at least 20 years since I've read Say Cheese and Die. So, you know, maybe this time around I'll be like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever read it. This will be my, this will be my first time. <laughs> have you guys seen the episode, though? I don't know yeah, if I have. I have. I so the only reason I picked that episode is because it stars Ryan Gosling. And I'm just I want to rewatch some classic Ryan Gosling. <laughs> and it stars R.L. Stein in it as well. The only time he makes a cameo in his own stuff. Is he actually? Who is he in it? He's the crazy old guy with the hair. Yeah, but you could say that about any movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's R.L. Stein right there. It's like, no, that's Doc Brown. <laughs> Guys, there's only one copy of Say Cheese and Die left on Amazon, and I'm I'm purchasing it right now. Just saying. <laughs> I'm going to see if there's an audiobook narrated by David Warner or something like that. But You find this extremely well-produced audiobook by, like, BBC. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, David Attenborough, R.L. Stein's Say Cheese and Die. Look, if there is an audiobook, let's just produce one. 
let's just produce a very polished say cheese and dive. We'll we'll get Kyle Bukowski's sign on. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> say cheese and dive, read by Kyle Bukowski. Actually, you know what? That might actually. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> By the way, for anybody listening, we went to college with Kyle Bukaskis, so just yeah. name dropping. The Kyle Bukaskis yeah. <laughs> of Sportsnet fame. R.L. Stein's Goosebumps presents Say Cheese and Die, narrated oh, by Robert England. Yeah. That would be fantastic. <laughs> You're like, well, I'm not listening to this evil. It was like narrated by Tony Todd. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is it on Audible with Gilbert Godfrey? <laughs> They cheese and die. <laughs> cheese and die. Also, too, R.L. Stein, he would do a, like a line of coke and then not remember what he wrote. And then he'd wake up and be like, oh, my goodness. Welcome to Nightmare Camps. I somehow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You guys are wasting all of our prime R.L. Stein content. We're going to save this for the next <laughs> sorry, sorry. for the next podcast. That's page and screen, folks. I want to give a special thanks to me and my friend for creating all the music you hear on this show. Uh, if you think you'd like to hear more of their music, uh, feel free to do so. Visit them at meandmyfriend.bandcamp.com. If you like this show, go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like us, leave us a review and a rating. You can also connect with us on social media. We are at Page and Screen One on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can search Page and Screen on YouTube, where you can watch a video version of this show. We post regular updates of all the books we read and all the movies we watch on our social media. So if you'd like to offer us your thoughts on them, that's the place to do so. So go ahead, chime in, join the conversation. And finally, make sure you spread the word about this show. Um, if you really enjoy us and you know a lot of book nerds or film geeks, pass it on to them. We'd love to reach new people. Maybe you know someone who's bummed out by the fact that Sam Wilson doesn't speak to birds in the MCU. Until the next page and screen, thank you for listening. Bye-bye, everyone. Hi. <laughs>